You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 179 and 180 of reading through the Bible in a year. We're reading, we're reading through it, and you may just be listening to it, which is just as legit because it's yeah. called the oral tradition. This is how the stories have been passed on, the stories of who we are in this universe, who God is, and our stories intersect to create life. It's pretty great. So where are we today, Matt? Our Old Testament reading for today is 1 Kings chapter 20 through 22. We will be finishing another book today. Wow, we're cruising. We are cruising. We are on episode 90. 90? Whoop, whoop. Almost to 100. Almost to 100. Almost half... Well, Get ready. halfway. Uh, uh, episode 100 might just be us doing the air horn. <laughs> All right. My my uh, three-week-old cold is almost finishing, oh, good. so I'm very excited. But it did help me do that horn sound. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it felt very uh, resonation-ish. Here we go. First Kings chapter 20. Uh, so we ended last Whew. episode with Elijah kind of coming out of uh, fear and depression and God yeah. uh, sending him off to anoint the next uh, replacement prophet, which is Elisha. So Elisha responds to that call, but we are still in the reign of Ahab. Mm. Sweet, sweet Ahab. It's true. It comes back. So we were following the kings, got the prophet story to kind of counterbalance all the evil. Mm -hmm. God's word is still there. And now we're back to Ahab. What's the deal with Ahab? So you might remember this name from a couple episodes ago. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. So this is probably Ben-Hadad Jr., yeah. Um, he was, uh, so Asa, king of Judah, had hired the Syrians to attack Omri um, and Israel. And so the Syrians, since then, have been attacking Israel. Right. And so here they are, back again, going to go further into Israel territory, down to Samaria, and they wanna, they, they're going to siege it and tell Ahab, hey, you need to give us all your stuff. Well, they, they, he does. He says, give me your wives, your children, your gold, your silver. And Ahab says, okay, 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 all right, it's cool. But then has a moment because fortunately... Well, they even come back after he says okay, and they're like, cool, now we're going to bring in all our servants and just anything that we think pleases you, we're going to take. Right. And so Ahab's like, that's great. Don't hurt me. And then he has a moment because fortunately, you know, things are not done over a, a cell phone anymore and it's not like they can drive there in a day. Yeah. So there's some time and Ahab goes, you know what, let me ask my elders. Mm-hmm. And all the elders are like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> Say no. Just, dude, we, we cannot. And so Ahab sends back, hey, I will meet your first request, but the second request is ridiculous. Right. And, uh. Well, this infuriates Ben Haydad. He's like, what? No, we want it. And I'm going to basically wipe you out. So uh-huh. he goes down to siege, brings all of his troops, brings everybody. They're all sitting in their their temporary kind of tents. Yes. Their booths. Their booths. He's drinking, which shows that Ben Haydad is thinking this is going to be easy. Mm-hmm. We're partying. We're basically, this is a tour of, uh, of victory. Where of we're just our gonna, new vassal state. Yeah, let's just go check it out. Meanwhile, behold... A prophet. A prophet appears and says, hey, yo, Ahab, what is your problem? Um, I will give you victory. Yes, like this is the first time we see like a prophet approach Ahab in a positive manner. And I, 
to kind of understand this uh, passage, I think it's God is proving himself to the Syrians right? as much as he is to the rest of Israel. Just like it's always been, yeah. It's always been when they were in the wilderness, mm-hmm. it was to the surrounding nations, like, these people are of God. There's no way they should be living in yeah. the death of the wilderness. Well, I just think Ahab uh, is kind of far from God, doesn't understand how the prophecy works, and just keeps asking questions like, wait, who sent you? Well, the Lord. Wait, so what did he say? Wait, who shall begin the battle? Mm-hmm. You will begin the battle. Oh, we're going to win? Yes. So then, How do we do it? Yeah. Okay. Ahab does it, and they went out at noon while uh, the Syrians are drunk and hanging out. God gives uh, a victory. Yes, they wipe them out. They wipe them out. They chase them back into Syria. Now, this should be shocking to you because all we've heard about from Ahab is Mm -hmm. how he's continued to set up the Baal worship, and he's everything against God. Yes. But God still has, still is gracious and loving towards his people. And he's like, man, you guys still are my people. So they have a victory, but the Syrians don't get it. They're like, oh, they're just gods. This is very telling. Mm-hmm. I love this passage because it shows the mindset of the rest of the world. The rest of the world. They figured, oh, the only reason we lost was because we were in the hills. And they have the God of the hills. Mm-hmm. But we have the God of the plains. Mm-hmm. So you know what? We were playing. It was on their home turf. Because they, they genuinely believe, like, your God may have saved you, mm-hmm. but we have a God too, and there's gods of hills and of land and of sea. And, and it just shows you the, the pantheon mentality. Yes. And so it's like chess. Like, well, we have pieces that we can outwit you. They say, let's go again, but sucker them out into the plains. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cool thing is the prophet actually warns Ahab about this before it all happens. Yeah, it's gonna... After the victory, the first victory, he's like... It's uh, not done. Yeah, they're going to come back in the spring. And so they do that, and he goes up and brings them out into the plains, but God, again, is proving himself to the outlying nations and saying, right. they think I'm just a god of a certain region. No, I'm God over all creation. All creation, the universe. Mm-hmm. So Ahab still kind of showing his unbelief and just, oh, he struggles, man. He gets this great victory a second time against the king of Syria, who has been constantly a thorn in his flesh. Yes. Constantly threatening his reign. He and, captures this mm-hmm. king. God devotes this king to destruction. Mm-hmm. He says, you got to wipe out the Syrians. Mm-hmm. They're a threat to our land that I've given you. They're a threat to everything we stand for. And what does Ahab do? He, he makes a deal with he, them. He makes a great little political deal where he feels safe and like mm-hmm. he's going to make some money. So, And it's like a reversal of what uh, Ben-Hadad's dad yeah. did to uh, Ahab's dad, Omri. And so he's like reversing the roles. Like, hey, whatever my dad did to your dad, now you get to do to me. Yeah, so you get to set up bazaars and you get to, we'll have a treaty and we'll be in trade routes with Mm -hmm. one another. And Ahab is foolish enough to go, yeah, let's make a covenant. I like that. So then we get this crazy scene that I always forget is in the Bible. And every time I read it, I'm like, oh yeah, this happened. Uh, Is So again, there's God has prophets always and there always is like a group of them which is all it's it's encouraging to hear there's yeah. not just we we focus on the one like the elijah or the elishas right. but there's always a group and there's so many that they're not always named and so this guy he gets a word from the lord and he tells he looks at another prophet and says hit me i know this cracks me up punch me in the face right now uh no 
uh, no. He's like, no, you gotta do it. The Lord says hit me. The He's, Lord says hit me. I know. And the other guy's like, I'm not gonna do that, bro. I'm not gonna hit you, Matt. And then you tell me. Oh, well, then when you leave this place, a lion's gonna come out and strike you down. Dude, why? Why are you saying that? Whatever. Death. Literally, the guy dies because he says, you disobeyed the word of the Lord. So then you, you're this prophet, yeah. ask another prophet, hit me. In hit, the me. Fa- hit me in the face. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. The guy hits him in the face. Yeah. He bandages himself up, covers up his eyes, waits for the king, cries out to the king as he walks by about this, this kind of parable, this sob story about, I was supposed to watch somebody, they got away, and now I'm going to uh, basically be, get, punished. be punished. I'm, I'm either going to die or have to give a year's worth of money. And the king speaks his own judgment. He says, so shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then the guy says, ha-ha. He I. removes his bandage. And so prophets acted as court counselors, so they were pretty recognizable uh, to kings. And so Ahab instantly recognizes the guy as a prophet and is like, oh, come on. Right. And he's like, you, because you let go of this king of Syria, yeah. you now... Um, your life is forfeit. Yeah. Your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. Mm-hmm. And then the king of Israel went to his house and vexed and sullen and came to Samaria. So he's kind of in a bummer mood now. It doesn't really achieve what it probably should have achieved. But then we get this story, which reminded me of two, maybe two, three other stories, where um, he gets fixated, like Ahab gets fixated on someone's vineyard, on Naboth's vineyard. Yes. And it reminded me of Amnon when he got fixated on... um, Tamar, yes, or David fixated on Bathsheba, yes. Ahab now is fixated on this plot of land. It would have been so great for a vegetable garden. Yeah, it was closer to his uh, palace. Yes, and he just becomes fixated, and Naboth won't sell it. And so Jezebel steps in and says, "Aren't you the king? What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And Ahab, it's like he's kind of aloof. It's like he understands. I don't want to be a jerk to these people. This is my guy. And, he, and he also understands the law is on Naboth's side. Because, right. again, property belonged to the tribes and the clans. Yeah. And, you can't and just, kings were forbidden from taking tribal territory. Right. So. But Jezebel's like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Yeah. You. And so she, I think she writes what we see. turns out to be a blueprint on how to try to destroy a righteous man. Yes. Totally. Long story short, she says, let's choose two worthless fellows. All we need is two witnesses who will lie for us. Yes. And Sons of Belial is what the... Oh, man. So just find two liars yeah. and uh, throw a party. Well, Yeah, so we're going to declare a fast. It'll be a great gathering. Of, it'll be prayer and fasting. Naboth will be at the head of the table. Yeah. And then two of these Sons of Belial will be sitting next to him. And they accuse him in front of everybody of the two things. You cursed God, which is funny, as if anyone believes in God as if anyone at that cares point. At this point. Uh, but really, you've cursed the king. Yes. And so that's punishable by death, and they all kill Naboth. And mm-hmm. Jezebel's like, there, problem's done. And you get the picture of uh, Ahab, like a child, going, what? She's like, welcome to your new land. <laughs> He's like, thank you, Jezebel, thank you, oh, I love you. How did this happen? Never mind, I don't want to know. Oh, we killed Naboth, He's dead. I don't want to know. Great! It's almost like a Cain and Abel, right? I get my vegetables now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no. The whole thing huh. is all... It's, And what we'll see, even in today's New Testament reading, 
this is what they did to Jesus. He curses mm-hmm. king and God. He's blaspheming and he's a mm-hmm. threat to Caesar. This is all the enemy can do to work people up against the people of God. Yes. So he gets it, but I think for me, one of the most amazing passages is coming up here in chapter 21, and that's where the Lord condemns Ahab. Yeah. Where with, he calls Elijah yes, back into the picture. And yes. Elijah says, dude, what have you done? You've killed you've killed a person <laughs> and taken possession of the land. Uh, I love, though, Ahab's greetings to Elijah yeah. are always great. And so... They are pretty Because I think, I think Elijah is this, to even Ahab, this mysterious character who just appears and disappears. Like, kind of like a Gandalf character within Lord of the Rings where he'll just show up wherever he's needed and then be gone. You can never, you can never pin him down. He and says, so he's like, he shows up and he says... Is this where he says, have you found me, oh, my enemy? Yes. Oh, my enemy's back. Oh, like, it's you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I found you because you've sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about the disaster he's going to bring. Ahab, uh, every male bond or free in Israel will be cut off that's associated to you. Basically, I'm going to make you like Jeroboam. And like Basha. And like Basha, I'm going to wipe out your line completely. But even worse than that, Dogs are going to lick up your blood. You're going to die in dishonor. Well, that was the same thing that happened. That was the same. That that line keeps repeating yeah. for every house that gets completely wiped yeah. out. Um, is the dogs will lick up your blood in the fe- in the streets, and the crows will eat the bodies in the field. Okay. But then for Jezebel, she gets a little special one. What's her specialness? Uh, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within oh, the walls right. of Jezreel. Yeah, that's especially Ooh. like, so that's saying, in essence, to the original audience, she's going to be so, people will distance herself themselves from her. She's going to be abandoned by everybody and left to be eaten by dogs. Is that what that's saying? It's meaning she will not be buried. Yeah, which is... A desecration. Awful. Yeah. So the part I like, though, is not this. Yes. Not what we just said. The part I like, and I hate at the same time, mm-hmm. is about the power of repentance. Like, repentance is the engine room for Christianity. Yeah. I'm just telling you that right now. If you're mm-hmm. not familiar with repentance, it's going to be a long and curiously horrible road for you. Uh, yeah. This is where we see the, um, really, the depths of repentance. A guy like Ahab yes. hears this, and he gets sullen, and he gets sad, and he repents for several days. He puts on sackcloth and ashes to the point where God says, Elijah, have you seen Ahab? And Elijah, you know, is like, I don't, I don't really care, God. Like, who cares? And God has to tell Elijah, hey, man, um, he's humbled himself before me. So because he's humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his days, but on his sons. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't say Elijah ever told him that, does it? No. Nope. It's like a conversation between Elijah and, and Ahab. And so, God. And God, yeah. So, but I think it's for the benefit of Elijah... Because Elijah's like, God, why are you so gracious? And what we hear Jesus say later is, God is gracious to both the righteous and the wicked. That's why rain falls on everybody's mm-hmm. crops. There, are, there is a natural grace to everyone. And within that grace is even if you're wicked and you're working against God, if you repent, that is where God hears you. God's like, ugh, you know what? Let's relent yeah. from what you just said. Now, that sounds like that's angering to us at first, but actually it's really good news to us yeah. because when we purposely and willfully decide to disobey God and set up high places and idols in our hearts, 
when we repent, God hears it and he relents. Mm-hmm. And so it's really amazing. I, this passage is for me is hidden in the middle of all this stuff. This is a beautiful passage to remember yeah. that even Ahab can, can be forgiven. But Ahab uh, quickly starts to continue in his sin and, um, and it's still, yeah, so he gets the, more years than he should have. He gets, well, so what he gets is that he gets an heir to the throne. Yeah. And so that's that's the big deal. It's it's not that he's God's going to bless his reign. It's he's not going to destroy his entire house right. while he's still alive. Right. Uh, so, and so that's the mercy he says because there are still natural consequences for being Ahab. Our so, new reality show. Yeah. In this, in chapter twenty-two, we have three years of peace between Syria and Israel, right. and we begin to see peace between. Uh, Israel and Judah. And so Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, is now uh, the king, and he's now uh, making peace treaties with Israel, with Ahab. And he's like, let's, let's not fight. Let's, we're brothers. Like, well, it's funny. We're, we're from Jacob. Let's be together. Ahab goes to Jehoshaphat and says, hey, will you help me fight the Syrians? And Jehoshaphat's probably looking at his advisors like, ha my- we kind of started that. Yeah. <laughs> My dad kind of started that. But yeah, we'll help. Why not? We'll help protect your territory. Well, he, so there's peace. And then Ahab realizes um, we own Ramoth Gilead. So Ramoth Gilead is one of the three uh, Transjordan cities of refuge. Hmm. So it's the northernmost and eastmost city of refuge. And the Syrians are currently holding it and so so rightly so you would feel like oh that's a city of refuge it's supposed to be a levitical city let's take it back and jehoshaphat is the next good king he's after his father asa yeah he actually walks in the ways of the lord and so he would care about restoring the places of the lord so anyway they team up and then they're they're gonna go but jehoshaphat's like hey let's let's find out what the lord has to say about this christian friends they really pay off you know like (laughs) ahab finds a christian friend (laughs) yes it's like "Eh, maybe you don't snort that line right now maybe we don't (laughs) drive like that yeah let's let's maybe sober up a little bit ahab why don't we call the prophets before we run into war and so he gets like 400 prophets and they're all like the Lord shall give it to you. Go up and yeah. you'll have victory. And Jehoshaphat's like reading the room and he's like looking around going, these don't look like prophets. These don't feel like prophets. prophets from God. They seem more like the Baal prophets that Jezebel keeps funding. So, so I imagine Jehoshaphat saying, Ahab, Ahab, look at me. Do you have another prophet? <laughs> Somewhere he's like, else. Oh, yes. <laughs> Who is he? Go get him. <sighs> uh, but he never says anything good. And then Jehoshaphat doesn't say anything, he just looks at him. No, he says, uh, in this version it says, let not the king say so. In one of the other versions I read, the one I was using last year, it yeah. says, uh, a king shouldn't speak that way. Nice. <laughs> a prophet is a prophet, Ahab. Go get him. We need all of them because we're talking about life and death here, going into war. So they go get Micaiah, the son yeah. of Imlah. And he's sitting at the gate and... Uh, they go send a servant to him. And again, Ahab's like, this guy never tells me anything nice. Yeah, but think about this. Micaiah, is that how we say yeah. his name? Micaiah, for like his whole life, the prophets have been, especially under Ahab, mm-hmm. they've been killed and locked away and they yeah. have to hide. And so if he's one of the real ones, he's like uh, very skeptical. So he gets called mm-hmm. and then immediately is like, oh, you're going to win. <laughs> and Ahab's like... Uh, 
says to him, I told you, Micaiah, tell me the truth. You always have to tell me the truth when you're prophesying the name of the Lord. But Micaiah knows. All that's going to do is get me in trouble under this regime. Yes. Because no one wants to hear what the Lord has to say. Yes. But apparently your new Christian friend is encouraging you to do this. Yes. Thanks, Jehoshaphat. <laughs> and uh, Jehoshaphat's like, sorry. <laughs> and so he says some things that I remember Jesus saying. Like, when I, what I see is... Um, yeah, so it's verse 17 if you want to read it. I do. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus the prophet is saying this to the leadership of Israel Mm -hmm. much later. And uh, the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Did I not tell you? And then he's like, I told you he wouldn't say anything good. But then Micaiah says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Anyway, and then he talks about the fact that God is asking for a lying spirit to go and... Deceive the prophets. Deceive the prophets to get Ahab to die. Yeah. Because Ahab continued to lead God's people. So again, I think, because the first several times I've read this, I was always like, what is happening here? But when you are so outside of God's... Uh, protection, and you are working against him, and you are worshiping other gods, and provoking you ref- him, and you refuse. Like Ahab has continually refused to listen to the voice of God. Like his one moment of repentance is his one shining moment. But every other time a prophet has come to him, he's just refused to listen. And so now he's like, fine. If he wants to listen to the prophets of Baal, let's have him listen yeah, to the prophets. He's of like Baal. trying to release the, mm-hmm. what what he wants because it is like provoking a bear. Yeah. Like if you constantly poked at a bear and then you like took his the cubs and then you took his honey and you're like yeah. laughing and you're, eventually the bear's going to eat you. Yeah, and so God's like We all saw Grizzly Man the documentary. I, I, I'm the bear. <laughs> You've I'm taken bear. my cubs <laughs> and my honey. Like it's like okay. So then after Micaiah so, says this, another Jesus thing happens. Yeah, so Or did you want to say something before? No, no, this is it. Yeah. Uh, another prophet who was saying... Zedekiah, the son of Shanana, Who was saying, you will win. The Lord will yeah. give you victory. He strikes Micaiah on the cheek. He just straight up slaps him. Boom. And he's like, how did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? So it's like... So he's like claiming like, the Spirit of God's only with me. But do you get what's... Mm-hmm. Like, in the New Testament, this is exactly what's happening mm-hmm. between Christ and the priesthood yes there's fault they've become false prophets and Mm -hmm. they're striking the true prophet on Mm -hmm. the face killing him saying shut up you don't have the spirit of god yes and then um micaiah says okay well you shall see the day when you go into the inner chamber to hide yourself so he's like there will come a day where you are so uh you are so fearful that you have to go hide yourself which makes Jesus more amazing because he says, Father, forgive them for mm-hmm. they know not what they do. But Micaiah's like, you're going to die, sucker. Yeah, in fear. And so then, of course, Micaiah gets thrown into prison with little <laughs> food, no bread. And, uh, and it's weird because, like, again, Jehoshaphat's like, Sorry, Micaiah, I thought we were all cool with this. It's like Micaiah's like, thanks, Jehoshaphat. Yeah. <sighs> so, you know, Micaiah says, I won't see you again, Ahab, because you're going to die in battle. And then, sure enough, as they go into battle... Uh, Ahab pulls like the most punk move ever. He's like, such a punk move. Uh, how about I dress in plain clothes? 
And Jehoshaphat, you dress in your kingly robes. And I'm imagining Jehoshaphat, knowing Ahab is scared and all that stuff, is like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm not going to take off the robes of a king. Yeah. Um, this is your battle I'm helping you with. That we is trust a good, the Lord. That is a good point. Like, when you do that, you are kind of symbolically abdicating the throne. So, like, yeah. it is, like, a very punk move. And I can see why even Jehoshaphat would be like, okay, if that's what you well, want to do. When I first read this, I thought, why is Jehoshaphat allowing this? Like, he's now the target. But Jehoshaphat's like, well, I'm the king. Yeah. I'm not giving up that. Yeah. And if this guy wants to abdicate that, fine. Well, sure enough. The Sy- it- yeah, so the Syrians are under orders. Only go after King Ahab. Right. That's it. That's all we're going after in this battle. Don't fi- try to fight the men. Just try to find King Ahab and then get out. And so they start chasing down. They see Jehoshaphat, and they chase him down. And Jehoshaphat cries out and is like, no, no. And they realize it's not King Ahab, so they turn away. So a couple things I'm thinking is, one, Jehoshaphat has God's protection. Yes. Two, there's still that agreement that Asa, his dad, made with the previous king of Syria. So they might be like, you know what? Whatever. That's Asa's son. That's Asa's son. Let's not kill him. And then they move on. Because he's an alliance. And three, yeah. they just really wanted Ahab. And it, so they realized, it's not Ahab. We're going after Ahab. And so the Bible says something it doesn't say very often, which is, uh, what's the phrase where it's like, happen chance. Like, he happened to get oh, hit. Oh, but a certain man drew his bow at random, or in his innocence. Yeah. So Ahab randomly dies. He just gets shot by an arrow, and he's like, I'm wounded. Take me off the battlefield. But he doesn't want to leave completely, so they prop him up like a... Like a dummy. Scarecrow. Yes, to still be like, hey, look. It's basically uh, a dummy in the carpool lane. Yeah. You got, like, he's, (laughs) Ahab is propped up as the leader. Yes. Even though he's dead, which is what's been going on the whole time. He's dead inside, (laughs) propped up as Israel's leader. To kind of, like, make the, because you want to see your king. And so if your king's propped up and he looks alive, then we keep fighting. You're fighting for king and country. But then word gets out, Ahab's dead. He's just, he's not moving. (laughs) And so they all flee. They turn around and they all go to their own country. Yeah. The Syrians, uh, the Syrians kind of stop fighting, right? I think they kind of break off and they go away. And then so the king dies. They take his... The Syrians feel good that they're not going to be continually pursued now by Ahab. Like, mission accomplished for them. Yeah, because they've been three years of peace. Like, come on, man. And they were, you know, they've been defeated by the people of God before. So... But the worst thing happens for Ahab. His blood flows. Yeah, so the blood fills the chariot. They take it to Samaria. It spills into the streets. They wash it off in this pool where the prostitutes bathe. The dogs come and lick his blood up. Like... Again, it's not an honorable way to go out. Yeah. And remember, the people of God shouldn't be having prostitutes, but there's still for yeah. all sorts of cultic prostitution mm-hmm. going on, and that's just his uh, testimony to the state of affairs. So, But Ahab actually gets a burial. Yeah. And uh, Ahaziah, his son, uh, reigns yeah. in his place. And so God is true to his word, where I'm not wiping out his line in his lifetime, but his... His sins are still going to come upon him. And then you get uh, the reign of Jehoshaphat. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jehoshaphat will rule for 25 years. He was following after his father Asa, Mm -hmm. trying to do good. And he finally uh, wiped out the male prostitute ring Mm -hmm. in uh, in Judah, 
which again was all to in the high, but there are still high places. There's still Baal worship going on mm-hmm. in Judah, but Jehoshaphat was one of the good guys, and, and this is where it ends. And I, I, after I read this, I wrote something kind of poetic. Okay. I wrote, you can see the flickering light of the gospel amid the deep and expansive darkness. God is hanging on to his people, his temple, his plot of land. Nice. That was nice. nice. That's, nice. The, that's like the end of my book. Yeah. All right. That concludes First Kings. First Kings. We did it. The fact that there's a first means there's going to be a second. And we'll do that next time. But uh, God is not letting go of his people, even amongst the most horrible leaders which should encourage every American who every election cycle feels like the worst person is being elected, but mm-hmm. God is still stronger. That's not... I should have ended with my poetic You're thing. Fine. Let me read it again. No. You can see the... No. Okay. Our New Testament reading for today is Acts chapter 18, verse 8 through chapter 19. Woo! Got that note. Everything's good. The book of Acts is crazy. We're going on these journeys with Paul. Mm-hmm. And today we're finishing up his second journey and yes. moving into the beginning of his third journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he is... Uh, Chapter 18. Is he? He's in Corinth. Yeah, you're right. He and is in Corinth. Something amazing happens in Corinth. For the first time. You get red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that... Uh, it's been a while since we've been in the Gospels, and all of a sudden, the last red letters we saw were at the very beginning of Acts, where mm-hmm. Jesus is ascending, and then all of a sudden, we get red letters again, where uh, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, mm-hmm. and it's Jesus says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and that sounds, that's so Jesus, is it yes. not? And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people, and we're realizing he stays up. He ends up staying in Corinth then. For a year and a half. A year and a half. Because which, God has told him, stay here. There's many people that are going to come. Which is us. unusual for Paul. Paul is like maybe getting weeks. He's three months, you know, If special. not a couple months. Yeah. But like he's bouncing from city to city. He's barely able to stay in one city and establish anything permanent before he's chased out. So the fact that he gets a year and a half here is amazing. And Corinth's like a major city of commerce and trade, mm-hmm. a lot of different people. But I also think like you start to see the in the epistles, the letters Paul writes mm-hmm. to specific churches. You'll see Corinth and Ephesians. So the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians and book of Ephesians, you start to connect like why he wrote these letters to the church in Corinth mm-hmm. is because he had a year and a half there. God, Jesus told him, stay here. Mm-hmm. I have people who, many who are going to believe here. So it's a special place in his heart. And he stays there until he can't. Yeah, so then, again, the classic thing happens, but it takes a while. It actually, yeah. he's, and it still doesn't even go all the way through. So um, the Jews, again, unite against Paul and try to bring him before a Roman tribunal. And the pro council is like, uh, this is not right. a Roman issue. This is just between you guys. It's the thing that, that would have happened to Jesus if it wasn't Passover. Yes. Like where the secular government, the mm-hmm. Roman government is like, yeah, you guys have your own rules. Right. Unless there's some crime or something, we're not getting involved. Right. And so they just decided to beat the uh, the new synagogue ruler. synagogue ruler and be like, you should have done something better. 
But Gal- uh, Galio paid no attention. Yeah, that is pro council is yeah. like whatever. I, just get out of here. So that's how um, the second missionary journey ends with this sweet time in Corinth and then leaving because things started to get. I think because it's a, the bigger the city, the sl- the more time you have to uh, to work before people start getting upset at the gospel. Yeah. So he he goes back to Antioch, which if you remember is kind of headquarters, Gentile Christian headquarters. It's the new uh, on, his, yeah. on his way back, he stops in Ephesus for a second, and uh, they tried to say, stay longer, stay longer, but he's like, no, I got to go back to Antioch. If God wills, I'll come back. Yeah. And so he moves on, uh, finally ends up in Antioch, spends some time there, and then now he's like, okay, it's time to go back and hit up all the places that I've previously been to, and I want to strengthen the believers there. Yeah. So... Now we get this little aside about a man named Apollos, who was a Jew that was native to Alexandria, so like from Egypt. Uh, Egypt. Yeah, and what's what's curious about this this little section is Apollos is a great orator. Mm-hmm. Again, he's skilled in uh, rhetoric. Yes, which is a, a way of speaking to persuade people, and mm-hmm. there's there's whole books on it. Plutarch writes a whole thing on it. Uh, it's fascinating reading sometimes. <laughs> Just kidding. It's pretty boring and difficult. But hmm. but in the way of Plutarch, you got guys like Apollos and uh, Paul, and so he's eloquent and everything, but he had a problem. <laughs> As Paul came back and heard him, and actually it was Aquila and Priscilla, right? Yeah, so he's in Ephesus. Yeah. So the place that right. Paul stopped in real quick and said, maybe I'll come back, he's now in Ephesus, and he's like preaching kind of the gospel. Like he's aware of a Messiah and he's aware that of like what the Old Testament's saying about him. But he's kind of, he's missing the full picture. Well, he's instructed in the way of the Lord. So I think he knows about Jesus. Yes. But he doesn't understand baptism yet. So he's mm-hmm. still baptizing in the repentance. So it's an easy mistake. I think a lot of us make it. Mm-hmm. He's still preaching the gospel like repent and be baptized. And be baptized. In the name of John, which is in a, in a, a repentance. So when we're baptized into Jesus, and this is what a, a Priscilla and Aquila teach mm-hmm. him, they go, no, no, we get to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Yes, yes. He was preaching eloquently from the Bible. Jesus is the Messiah, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. I think. It doesn't explicitly say, but it does say he was trained in the way of the Lord. Yes. So I don't know if that means Jesus or, but he knew enough, but he just didn't understand the baptism part of it. So it's like, his end of his message was, so repent mm-hmm. and try to become one of us, where they were able to say to him, no, 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 you repent and you receive forgiveness of sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're yes. baptized into yes. the work of Jesus Christ, so there's the assurance of forgiveness, and yes. that changes his life. And he's like, whoa, he really gloms onto that, yeah. and um, he becomes a good guy. Yeah, and so he, he kind of lays, lays the groundwork in Ephesus when Paul finally comes back and is able to spend some time in Ephesus in chapter 19. Uh, So Apollos is now moving on to Corinth, and then Paul shows up in Ephesus right right after him. And he goes around and realizes, oh man, there's like Christians here, but they don't have signs of the Holy Spirit. Like, the Holy Spirit's not working among them. They don't know what the Holy Spirit is. Which is curious, isn't it? And so he's like, what? So what happened? What's going on? And they're telling him about Apollos, and they're telling him, yeah, we were baptized in the baptism of John. He's like, oh. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, Mm -hmm. no. 
And he's like, we have, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He yeah. said, wow. Into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So yes. it's not in the name of John, but it's John's baptism, which is repent, get clean, because mm-hmm. the king is coming. Yes. And so um, basically the gospel is the king has come, his name is Jesus, and now you're baptized into his work, his death and resurrection. But um, Now he can be in you with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and so they heard this, and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so with that baptism, the actual baptism into Jesus, which is our requirement mm-hmm. as, as ministers, we, we baptize people into the name of Jesus. Um, Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and then they start like mm-hmm. prophesying, doing this thing that happened back in the Old Testament, you know, speaking about God, speaking in the different languages that were represented there, or tongues, and uh, there were 12 men in all. So that's a huge work. That happens in, this is happening in Ephesus. Yes. And um, then Paul goes, oh, and I want to say something about Paulus too. I don't know if he sends them there yet, but I just want to say, uh, one of the traditions of the early church would be bishops would send other bishops and people with letters of recommendation. Oh, yeah, yeah, So like if a guy came to preach, you, you, you wouldn't be in fellowship with him unless he had a letter of recommendation from someone you all trusted. Yes. And so Paulus does get like a recommendation from Paul mm-hmm. so you can trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's just <clears throat> cool. And like that's what we have in our ordination mm-hmm. is like I have been referred to you by those you might trust in a certain denomination. All right. Yes. So he enters the synagogue in three months. So here's what I noticed when he goes into Ephesus this second or third time now. Mm-hmm. He goes to the synagogue for three months. Yes. Boldly reasoning, persuading some, uh, until someone rises up mm-hmm. and says, we got to stop this guy, Paul. As soon as that happens, Paul has learned a lot. It's his third missionary journey. He's like, cool, I'm out. I'm out. No, you're starting to be bold now about how we're wrong. That means your hearts have, we filled up as much as we can. Yeah. So he left and then went to some place called the Hall of Tyrannus. Yes. Which is, to me, it's to the Gentiles, basically, right? Yes. And he was there for two years. So you give the Jews in the synagogues three months, Mm -hmm. and then you give the Gentiles two years, and that feels right to me because the Jews are already prepped. They have the story of God. Mm -hmm. They have the expectation of Messiah. So like for them, rejection or salvation comes fast and furious. Yes. And so Paul's like, cool. And he's able to do this now for two years in Ephesus, which again to me is a special time for him. Yeah. A long time. That's why the book of Ephesians is so brilliant. I mean, the first 25 verses is one huge run-on sentence where Paul is so excited because he loves these people. Um, But amazing things were breaking out among these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, extraordinary miracles. Yeah, so, like, I mean, he was doing, like, some of this stuff is awesome and sounds crazy, but I love that it's in the Bible. So we have... um, Handkerchiefs, aprons that had touched Paul's skin and those were taken and then laid on sick people or people that were possessed by demons and they would be healed and exercised, which is amazing. Like just a, it's an interesting uh, outpouring of God's presence into physical objects. So here's what it's connected for me. Mm -hmm. The lady who touched the hem of Jesus garment. Yes. It's also connected to, um, we're going to find out that Ephesus is very open and has a, really deep belief in magic yes in spells incantations Mm -hmm. special things like this Mm -hmm. and so um we don't see god again all these things are not necessarily normative you're right 
Um, but then I, the other thing I think of is when Jesus was in his hometown, he didn't do many miracles, mm-hmm. right? Because they wouldn't receive what a prophet in his hometown has yeah. never received. All this to say, in Ephesus, people were primed and ready mm-hmm. to receive works like this. So they This were, also happened for Peter. Yeah. Peter's shadow would heal people. Right. And so I'm just saying, like, in places where people are ready and open to believe and want the healing of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, God is, I think, free and more free to work through crazy things like mm-hmm. this. But so when we, you know, I've, we've seen it abused. I've seen televangelists sell scarves that have been touched right, and prayed over. Right. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, for one person out of a million, it worked. Right. But it's, so it's a weird relationship with not that someone had more faith than the other, but that God meets us where we're at and Ephesus is yes. totally open to this stuff. So it works. And then you find out they're more than open to this. They're wrongly associated to uh, the dark cult. Like, mm-hmm. And so you have guys who are, it's confusing, they call themselves the high priest. They're Jewish, the sons of Sceva. Yeah, and so <laughs> they're the sons of Sceva who says he's a high priest. He's probably not. Right. Uh, but this is the beautiful mix of yeah. syncretism of mm-hmm. saying, oh, we'll, we'll use a little bit, we'll use whatever works. But they're also Jewish. Right. And they're using whatever other pagan things, and they're exorcists. And so there were Jewish exorcists uh, running around during Jesus' time and stuff like that. And so they're in Ephesus, and they and they see Paul, and Paul's casting out demons and healing yeah. in the name of Jesus. So they're like, well, let's add Jesus to our repertoire. Let's make it another incantation. Another mm-hmm. pa- It seems to be more powerful than what we're currently using. Yes. So they do it. They run into a guy, and they... They don't even say it with much authority. They're like, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Mm -hmm. And then the evil spirit's like, "Uh, Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? (laughs) Overpowers them, masters them, basically strips them naked, humiliating them, and beating them. Yes. All seven. seven. The one demonic thing shows total power over them. Yes. Because... These guys were not using the name of Jesus as a child of God in faith. Mm-hmm. They were using it for their own power. And manipulation of God. And that tells us the name of Jesus Christ is powerful mm-hmm. for your good or for your bad. And it's powerful for those who love him. Um, it can be a real harm for those who are trying to manipulate him. And so both the Jews and the Greeks hear about this. And they, a fear falls upon them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And they become believers and they uh, turn away from their magic practices and begin to burn yeah. all of their works of magic. This fleshes out their real deep belief in magic. Mm-hmm. And they all realize this event makes them go, we just want to be under the rule of Jesus. Yes. So what do we do? Let's burn all of our special books that have magic that we've relied on and used. So it comes, like the value of the books is 50,000 pieces of silver. I know. So a piece of silver is a day's wage. I mean, and so think about, I put it in this perspective too. Paul loves the people of Ephesus, right? Yeah. Like he's seen them freed, not just from a disease, mm-hmm. but from a structural belief, yes. a systemic way of life they're being freed mm-hmm. from because it's a, freed from the tyranny of magic and yeah. finally under the rule of Jesus Christ. Well, as a result, and what I'm starting to realize too is that the gospel never attacks the ruling structure. The gospel is never the problem for a culture. Right. It is the response to the gospel that's the problem, mm-hmm. right? So the response is, after these events, you so get... Paul. Yeah, Paul leaves. Yeah. He's like, okay, cool. I'm, 
like some good stuff's been here, but the spirit's moving me to go back to Macedonia and uh, and go to Jerusalem. So I'm gonna go over there. And uh, but I think this happens. He says he's gonna leave, but then this happens oh, because this, this they happens, keep yeah. they keep Paul out. Like Paul's like yeah, telling true. he's making his plans known. I'm gonna move on. And right about that time, and I think it's because Paul. You know, when you were in a business, mm-hmm. he's gained enough wisdom now to go. Oh, we're about due for an uprising. Yeah. Because enough people, like it's tilted. The leverage, we've leveraged, enough people have gotten saved, and now this is going to affect the economy. So I think, I think we've yeah, made a big impact. Yeah, pieces of silver. Right. I think we've made a big impact, and I'm going to start to move on. And of course, as he says that, it happens. And uh, The leader of a guild. So yeah. <laughs> um, all craftsmen, everything had a guild, and they were dedicated to a god. Yep. And so that's kind of also the the rub when you're a christian you no longer can be part of an official guild so you can no longer because you can't worship these gods and you have to worship them to be a guild and have like a booth on the street because you want good luck for your yeah. uh, services and what you're doing and so this guild master of the silversmiths is like uh our business is being destroyed we make silver shrines of artemis and sell them to people and people are now burning them. Well, and then he tries to say it starts off with like we're losing money, but yeah. then he realizes, uh, but wait, we're losing respect, and the great Artemis is being dethroned. Yeah, because there's a there was a big temple to Artemis in Ephesus, and so they're like, we're gonna lose our prestige. We're gonna lose the reason people come here. Like it's a giant tourist attraction for people to come and you buy the little yeah. Artemis doll that's going to give you good luck. Awesome. Yay. Well, and then you find out from the rest of this. Well, first of all, they get whipped up into a frenzy, right? Yeah. So they they start uh it's Paul's not there. The disciples keep Paul out of it. There's two other guys that are associated with Paul. They get dragged into the um Yeah, there's like a giant mob. They just have yeah. like a riot and they storm the this theater where people would go and speak and apparently Gaius and Aristarchus Aristarchus yeah uh, two of Paul's companions are there speaking they grab them and now they're yelling and arguing and trying to like they want something to change and happen but there's so much confusion that no one can figure out what 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 do they need (laughs) what needs to happen yes and then people are just being drawn not knowing what's going on Mm -hmm. but it ends with for two hours people are chanting Together, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, mm-hmm. great as Artemis of the Ephesians, like chanting. If you've ever been to a, a football game or something, yeah. it's powerful. Like I was at a rally, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, at these things, and you just get worked up, and they're frenzied until finally the town clerk says, it's just basically, he tells us something about what they believe. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, the great Artemis, you know, obviously we, Ephesus is the keeper of the temple of Artemis mm-hmm. because the great stone has fallen out of the sky to us, which yeah. the stone that fell out was this, um, apparently it was a statue of Artemis. Yeah, it, it actually might have been like a meteorite that they right. turned into a statue. And so that's what they're making. It's mm-hmm. like the tourist things. You're yeah. making those little remodels of that meteorite that mm-hmm. was fashioned into it. And so they, he's saying, look, these people have done nothing sacrilegious or blasphemous. He has to speak, um, he basically speaks reasonable and says, look, Demetrius, you have a problem with your guild? Go to the pro-council, do it right, because we are this close to being declared a riot. And if yeah. we get declared a riot, we are in trouble by Rome. Yeah, Rome will come in and calm Squelch us down by it. force. Yes. So they all went away, 
and uh, the the assembly diminished. But yep. this this huge thing tells us tells me anyway. Paul is he understands the seasons and the times, and he also understands it's when it's time to go. But mm-hmm. God protects them, and a great work is done in Ephesus. It's pretty great. Yeah. So um, right. this is the beginning of his third missionary journey, and after Ephesus. Um, He's going to be heading to some other places that we'll, we'll talk about We'll, we'll talk about next yeah, time. We've, okay. we're, we've gone long on this one. Yeah, a lot to say. All right. Today I'm going to read Psalm, continue to read Psalm 78, verse 32 through 39. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh a wind that passes and comes not again. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.